Hi, I'm Mark Shanahan, and I'm a theater artist associated with the White Heron Theater here on Nantucket. There's a chill in the air this week, so we thought we'd return and tell some more chilling tales on our Ghost Light series. To start us off, we have a brand new radio play, a story set on Nantucket, but inspired by a classic 1904 short story from English horror master M.R. James, followed by another spooky tale from Blue Ballyette's Nantucket Ghost's 44 True Accounts, and then a reading by our artistic director of a ghostly little article we unearthed in the archives of Nantucket's local newspaper, The Inquirer and Mirror. Because we figure it's always a good time of year to be in a Halloween frame of mind. And with that, we welcome you to White Heron Radio Theater's Ghostlight Series. Hello, this is Lynn Bolton, Artistic Director of the White Heron Theater on Nantucket. In the theater, we have a tradition. Whenever the stage goes dark between performances, we leave a single light burning in the house until the curtain can rise again. We call it a ghost light. And until we can all meet once more at White Heron, we're pleased to offer you something we like to call our Ghost Light series, original Nantucket radio drama created especially for you, our White Heron audience. Consider this a warning. My father used to tell me that when you leave Nantucket Island on the ferry heading back to the mainland, you're supposed to throw two pennies overboard as you round Brant Point Lighthouse. If you do that, you're supposed to be assured that you will return to the island someday. It's a superstition. Something silly the islanders tell the tourists, I guess. I threw my two pennies overboard years ago when I was a boy, and I promised to come back. It took me a long time, but I did. I returned. And now, I want nothing more than to leave. I tell myself, when the ferry comes, I will be on it. I will be on it, and I will leave this place, won't I? But I'm afraid. I'm afraid I will never leave. Because there's... There's something here. I found it. Or maybe it found me. And it scares me. So here's my warning. If you're curious. If you go looking for this thing that most scares you in this world... It might come. So be careful. Be careful. Because that thing, the thing you suspect is out there, which you can't explain rationally, that thing each of us momentarily catches a glimpse of before we sleep, that thing you can't always see, but sometimes you feel, it's real. And if you call to it, it will come to you. And it may not let you go. Whistle by Mark Shanahan, inspired by the story O Whistle and I'll Come to You, My Lad by M.R. James. The Burnstow Guest House sits on the eastern end of Nantucket Island. My father once referred to it as the house at the end of the world. 
the easternmost point in the United States, he'd say, the first sunrises every morning. The guest house looks nearly the same as it did all those years ago when my parents and I would come in the summer. Tall and gray, white trim on the windows, wide on the bottom, narrow up top. There are two windows on the third floor, like a pair of eyes looking out over the bluff to the ocean below. The house stands a bit apart from the others in the area, all of them boarded up for the winter. If you look closely, it's missing a few shingles here and there. But otherwise, it's just as I remember. I have finally come back. And is it just you, then? The reservation was made some time ago, but it says you booked the room for Mr. and Mrs. James? No, it's... it's just me, I'm afraid. I'm here alone. Two weeks. I have a bit of work to do. I'm a mathematics professor. I'll be studying mostly, catching up on things. I see. Well, I hope you'll be comfortable. I can put you on the first floor in the Starbuck room. Actually, I'd like to stay upstairs in the room I reserved. Oh, yes, the Cathcart room. It's got two queen beds, and it's a bit more expensive, so I thought... I'd like to stay there, if that's all right. Of course. We have breakfast in the front parlor in the morning, starting at 7. You can sit by the fire, or there's a TV in there. Or you can play records, if you like. My late husband, he loved music, so we have a pretty good collection. Um, uh, What else? There are no phones in the room, so if you need one, just come down here, and you can use this one. And uh, you can borrow a bicycle outside, if you like. And, uh, that's about it. Just sign right here, please. Here? Yes, please. Right. Thank you. You're lucky you made it over. They've canceled the ferry nearly every day this week. Weather. Yes, there were some pretty rough seas. I saw a few people standing around down at the dock waiting to head back. They'll have to wait till tomorrow, probably. I had a hard time getting a cab to take me all the way out here, I'll tell you that. That's not unusual in winter. Most everything on the island is closed up in the off-season. Am I the only guest here, then? Well, yes. I hope that's all right. Oh, no. No, no. Yes, it is. I was hoping for some peace and quiet, actually. Oh, (laughs) well, we've got plenty of that. Good. All right, then. If you need anything, ring at the desk. I'll hear you in the back. Your room is at the top of the stairs, to your... To my left. I remember. Oh. Have you stayed with us before? A long time ago. My mother, rest her soul, used to love Nantucket. The cobblestone streets and town, the old-fashioned houses. My father liked to fish. He loved the ocean. I was kind of a bookish kid, and I think they wanted me to get outside during the summer, so we came here. Two weeks, every August till I was 12. We were always very happy here. I've had a bit of a year, and I... I guess I thought I'd come back and find... Well, I, I don't know what I thought I'd find. That's all right. Lots of people come to Nantucket looking for something, even if they're not sure what it is. It's a funny place. I came here on a weekend trip when I was 23 and never left. Yes, well, thank you, Mrs. Benjamin. I'll see myself up. The room has a a musty smell, like it hasn't been opened in a while. I don't remember it being so small. Well, children always think the world is so much bigger than it is, don't they? 
The furniture is arranged differently than I recall, but it's still comfortable. Old brass bed frames, wooden sea chest in the corner, little bathroom off to the side, alarm clock on the bed table. But the wallpaper is peeling. Uh, this place has seen better days, I guess. <laughs> but then again, so have I. Yeah, this was supposed to have been a honeymoon. A chance to show Amy a place I loved when I was young. When she called it off with me, she said in time I'd realize it was the right thing. She'd rushed into it, she said. <laughs> I think she wanted to be married, just not to me. It wasn't the right fit. In a way, I was relieved, but I didn't take it well. My doctor said I'd been holding a lot in with the years of caring for my father during his long illness and then the breakup with Amy. Yeah, sort of fell apart, I suppose you could say. Spent some time in a hospital, which helped. Got my head back on straight. And that's all I'll say about that. So, so I came here alone to Nantucket, a little island 30 miles off the coast of Massachusetts, looking for peace of mind, I guess. It was going to be good to be here, in the guest house where I stayed with my parents, the three of us, when I was just a child. Mister? Oh, hello there. You startled me. What's your name? Boots? Boots? Don't leave that man alone now. I told you to place the towels outside the door. I I'm sorry, Mr. James. It it's all right, Mrs. Benjamin. This is my daughter, Beatrice. We call her Boots. Hello, Boots. I'd say you're about 11? 11 next month, yes. Say hello to Mr. James, Boots. Hello, Mr. James. She's a bit shy. Oh, I understand that feeling all too well. Mrs. Benjamin. Uh, Alice. Alice. I was thinking of taking a walk on the beach before it gets too dark. How do I get down there? I can't remember. There, there's a little footpath. If you'd like, Boots will show you the way. Well, I wouldn't want to trouble you, Boots. It's all right. I'll show you. Boots takes me down a path and a winding set of stairs to the beach. I think, oh, she'll turn back, but she follows me, quiet, curious. The beach is beautiful, barren and windswept, empty, not a soul to be seen, not a soul. The waves roll in, the sea air is raw, the sky a dark, cloudy yellow. Ah, a little rain sprinkles our faces. Nantucket in winter. We should turn back. Yeah, yeah, think you're right. It's getting dark. Ah, what's this? Where? Right here in the sand, under this little pile of scallop shells. Looks like something, something's buried in where the cliff is eroded. You see, sticking out. Let me just, yeah, I have to dig down here. Uh, huh, look at that, will you, Boots? Looks like a little, a little wooden box. Yeah, it's sort of pretty, isn't it? Now let's see if I can, uh, no. Uh, nope. Yeah, the hinges are rusted shut. Huh. Well. Oh, you hear that? Yeah, there's something inside it shaking around. 
Yeah, maybe I'll just take it back to the house and see about it later. My mother says you shouldn't take things that don't belong to you. Well, finders keepers, eh? Come on, lead the way. She runs ahead. I try to keep up, but she is too fast. In a few moments, she is around the bend and I cannot see her. And that's when... I feel something. Something behind me. I turn and... I can't be sure, but... There is someone there. Isn't there? Far down the beach, where there hadn't been anyone before. Someone is... Standing there. Staring at me. A heavy coat or a shawl. Flapping in the breeze like laundry on a line. I... I can't make out a face, but I know it is staring at me. And it fills me with... Dread. I walk on, trying to, to catch up the boots, but she's vanished. When I turn around, the figure is still there. When I get to the footpath, I turn again, and this time... It's gone. It's just gone. But the feeling of dread... It remains. Ah! There you are, I was wondering. Boots said you were right behind her. Oh, wow, it's really coming down now, isn't it? I turned up the heat for you. Yes, yes. I'm all right. I'm, I meant to ask. We, we have some dinner made, and if you'd like... You can... Oh, no, 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 no. I have a little something in my bag. I'll be fine. But thank you. I put her around the room. Unpack. Read from a book. I barely notice which one. And then, when I'm ready for bed, I remember my little souvenir from the beach, the wooden box. Sitting on the writing desk in the corner. Funny, I don't remember taking it from my coat pocket. All right, let's see what's inside you, eh? Huh. You open easily enough now, don't you? What's this inside? A little... Pipe? Maybe a bone? Whalebone? Like a scrimshaw? Huh. Oh, maybe you're worth something. I think you're a little whistle. Maybe, aren't you? Huh. And look here, an inscription. I can barely... Quis est... Quis est ist... Huh. Quis est ist qui venit. Eh, my Latin's a little rusty, but... Who is this who is coming? And if I blow on you? Well, that's quite a... Quite a... My goodness! Goodness! It happens in an instant. The windows blow open. The lamps flicker. The lights go out. I force the windows closed. I fasten them with the, with the hook, and I, I place some books on the sill to keep them shut. 
The room is suddenly very cold. I can... I can see my breath. What the... It's the radio. It's just the alarm clock radio. It's switched on by itself. I turn it off and then I hear... a sound. It's coming from downstairs. At first, I can't tell if it's someone at the front door or something rapping against the side of the house. And then, someone is down there, in the front parlor. Now it's on the stairs. Coming up the stairs. Someone is out there. Mrs. Benjamin? Alice? Are you out there? Boots? Is that you? Answer me. Who is that? I can hear you out there. But nothing. There's no one in the hallway. Just the wind. Just the wind. I put the whistle back in the box and I shove it to the bottom of the sea chest beneath my clothes. I lock my door and I sit upright in bed until at last. I think I've fallen asleep. And I fall into a dream. I'm on the beach. I see a little child. She's running. It's Boots. She's running ahead. I hurry back to the guest house. I turn and I see the figure far down the beach. And then the whistle. The whistle far away but getting closer. It's moving. The figure is moving. I run, but it keeps pace with me now. Every time I turn, it's gaming on me. I trip and fall. The sand gets in my mouth and I can't get up. I can't move. I catch a sight of it. Does it have horns? Wings? It moves, fluttering like, like drapery flapping in a violent wind. I turn away. I want to close my eyes. I don't want to look at it, but I have to. It's almost upon me and... The alarm. It's morning. It's morning. I can wake up now. I can wake up. Oh, morning, Mr. James. It's nice to hear someone playing the records again. How's your breakfast? Very good, thank you. Sleep well? Uh, not really, actually. Had some nightmares. Nightmares? Yes, but they seem so real. There was somebody chasing me on the beach. Your hands are shaking. I'm sorry. I can't quite wake up this morning. You know, I never dream, really. Never remember my dreams, at least. Must have been all that wind last night. 
Yes, we, uh, we get it particularly bad out here on the bluff. I uh, must get to you after a while, no? Uh, you get used to it. Oh, I meant to ask, would you like another blanket in your room? Mm, yes, thank you. I think I could use one. Which bed should I put it on? Uh, the one by the window. The one I slept in last night. Well, you seem to have tried both beds. The two of them are unmade this morning. Are they? I never touched the other one except to lay my bag on it. Maybe it got disturbed when the windows blew open. Yes, maybe it did. Uh, Mrs. Benjamin? Alice? I wanted to ask, and I, I don't want to get her in trouble, but I wondered if Boots was creeping outside of my door in the middle of the night. Boots? You know, maybe trying to play a little prank and scare me. I'm sorry, but that's not possible. We both live in the cottage out back, and Boots slept in my bed last night. You mean I was alone in this house all night? Well, we were both in the cottage. Ah, well, I understand. I'm not sure what I heard, then. I spend the morning in Nantucket town, walking in the cobblestone streets. Every corner brings back memories. A restaurant my father liked, the bandstand at the wharf where I danced with my mother, the newspaper store on Main Street where I bought candy and comic books off a little spinning rack. We were happy here, weren't we? Weren't we? And yet, if I thought I'd feel closer to my parents by being here, in a way, it's only made me realize how long they've been gone. I miss them. I miss them so much. They were an older couple. They waited a long time to become parents, and they loved me. They really did. Losing them had been difficult. First, my mother's sickness. She was simply gone one day when I came home from school. But my father, the confusion, like a delirium, came upon him slowly, until one day he stopped talking and disappeared altogether. It's an insidious way to lose someone, really, bit by bit. Anyway, most of the businesses in Nantucket Town are boarded up with signs in the window saying, See you next summer. That's always the next summer, isn't there? At the ferry terminal, the boats are running again. The seas are calmer. A few people dot the docks, standing alone, quietly, waiting for the next boat. When I arrive back at the Burnstow in the afternoon, Boots is waiting for me on the lawn. You ought to get inside, young lady. You're not wearing your coat. You'll catch a death of cold. Boots, is something wrong? There was someone in your room. What? There was someone up there. In that window. Your room. Was it your mother? No. It was someone else. It looked at me. I didn't like it. A man? I don't know. I didn't see a face. But someone was there. And it... waved at me. Let's go in and see. Mrs. Benjamin? Yes? Will you come upstairs with me? Boots thinks there was someone in my room. What? Yes, of course, but there hasn't been anyone here all day except us, I promise. Well, there's nobody here now. Is everything the way you left it? Yes, everything is exactly... No, wait. 
the little whistle on the table. Boots, did you go into my my drawers? No. Be honest. I didn't. If you're playing some kind of game, I won't be mad. Mr. James, she would never go into a guest's room. Of course, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to accuse her. Maybe I moved the whistle, and I forgot. Look at this, Boots. This was what was in our little box from the beach, this whistle. Like the song? What? The song about the whistle. What song? Oh, whistle, and I'll come to you, my lad. Oh, whistle, and I'll come to you, my lad. Oh, father and mother, and I shall go mad. Oh, whistle, and I'll come to you, my lad. I'm afraid... I'm afraid I don't know that song, Boots. Boots, will you go downstairs? I'll be there in a minute, honey. Mr. James? Are you all right? Yes. Here, sit down. I'm sorry. To be honest, I've had a bit of trouble recently. I've been in a hospital. I'm still a little raw. Sometimes I get overwhelmed with this... This feeling of dread. And I thought perhaps coming here would help. But... But it hasn't. It's all right. I understand. You couldn't possibly. I do. Better than you think. You're looking for peace. For some of us, that's hard to come by. I've been there. A lot of us have. So I know it can be crippling, that feeling when it comes over you. I appreciate that, but... Did you see something unusual since your arrival yesterday? Something that's troubling you? Tell me. Yes, I think I did. On the beach last evening with boots. And then here last night outside my door. And then again in my dream... It's none of my business, talking to you like this. I hope you'll excuse me if I'm out of line, but I recognize what you're going through. How can you? This island, it's a wonderful place, for the most part. Filled with history, with beauty. Everyone can see that plainly. But some of us were able to see other things. We've got a kind of second sight. Oh, please, I am not a believer I've in... got it. Boots has it. My husband Peter had it. It drove him mad. And I think you might have it, too. I can see it in your eyes. You've seen something that scares you. I've seen something similar, you might say. We each see it in our own way. I didn't see it until I came to Nantucket. There's something else here, and it calls to us in different ways. Something unspeakable. It taps into whatever we're afraid of, and it won't let you go once you invite it in. But I don't believe in things like that. I don't. It doesn't matter what you believe. You're in a bad place, Mr. James. It knows that. If you've done anything to call for it, you have to turn away while you can. What are you saying? 
I think you should leave before it's too late. I sit in my room for I don't know how long. Maybe an hour, maybe two, maybe more. I just sit there, staring at the little whistle. Who is it that is coming? When I'm ready, I stand up, put the whistle in my pocket, and I go out of the house. I step down the little path to the beach. The sun is setting behind gray clouds. The ocean is calm. No wind now. I walk to the spot near the pile of shells. I take the whistle from my pocket and I throw it out into the ocean. I watch the little piece of bone sink beneath the wave until it is gone. Mrs. Benjamin is right. There is nothing for me here. I have to leave. You don't need second sight to see it's time for me to stop looking back. I have to get on with my life. Mrs. Benjamin? Alice? Yes? I'll be leaving in the morning on the first ferry to the mainland at sunrise. Good. Good. I'll drive you down to the boat. Be downstairs at 5.30. Before bed, I pack for the morning. I will sleep in my clothes so as to not waste time before leaving. It'll only be a few hours now. I set the alarm on the clock radio and I pull down the window shade. It's dark and I sleep soundly without dreaming for some time. And then the shade sprung open. A deep moonlight spills into the room. I want to keep my eyes closed to stay asleep. I turn over in my bed facing the wall and I curl up into a ball. No. No, it couldn't. It can't be. There is something in the other bed. Something moving, rustling. It's the linens on the bed. Quis est ist qui when it desperately to keep my eyes shut. If I don't see it, it will go away. Keep your eyes shut. Keep your eyes shut. But oh, I can't help myself. I feel compelled to turn and see it, to look at it. To see what it is, no matter how horrible, I have to see it. So I turn. No. I fall to the floor in the moonlight on the other bed the sheets rising on their own it is glorious and terrifying all at once I cannot look away I want to see it I want to know what it is the sheets are twisting into a shape the shape of a body and a face the crumpled linens wind tightly 
and the face becomes clear, like a, like a wet towel over a doll's head. The face is my own. And then the sheets lunge at me. Ah! They wrap around my neck, tightly, tight, strangling me. I pull at them. They only wrap tighter. Mr. James, are you all right? Mr. James, sit up, sit, sit up. Here, let me help. Did you see it? Did you? No, I didn't. The sheets on the floor, they were... Get downstairs. Go to the car. I'll meet you. I'll take you down to the ferry. She drives me to the other end of the island in the darkness of early morning. She doesn't say a word. When we reach town, she leans over, opens the door, and smiles at me, sadly. Here's a ticket. The ferry will be leaving any minute. Go. Now. The sun is rising. I watch one by one as passengers board the ferry boat. I stand at the edge of the wharf. A man holds out his hand to collect my ticket. But I step back. I can't get on. The gangplank detaches. The boat pulls away. And I hear the ferry whistle. You see, I can't leave. I cannot move on. This dread, it keeps me here. I want to stay with it. Then I notice there are others on the dock, watching the ferry depart, gripping tickets of their own tightly in their hands. There are others, others like me. They've seen something, too, in their own way. Yes, there's... There's something here, something unspeakable. I found it. Or maybe it found me. Perhaps you have a dread of your own. If so, I warn you, be careful. Because if you call to it, it will come to you. And it may not let you go. Whistle by Mark Shanahan. Inspired by the story, Oh Whistle and I'll Come to You, My Lad, by M.R. James. With Steve Pasek as Martin James, Alexandra Kopko as Alice Benjamin, and Catherine Shanahan as Boots. Whistle was directed by Mark Shanahan with original music, sound design, and audio production by John Gramada. A Shaker Rocker by Blue Balliette. Read by Drew McVitie. My wife and I are antiques dealers and bought our house on Union Street in September of 1967. 
We're from Connecticut and had opened a small branch of our mainland business on one of the wharves here the previous summer. We fell in love with the island and began looking for a place to live at the end of the season. And once we set foot in the house, we knew immediately that it had to be ours. It all happened very quickly. We moved in and began stripping off all kinds of trim and overlay. The floors were covered with the linoleum, the fireplaces were blocked up, the lights or small fire windows over the doors were painted over. We unmasked the house, room by room, doing most of the restoration work ourselves. I looked into the history of the house and found that it had been built by Captain Joseph West in 1802. When his wife, Mary, died in 1816, West sold the house to Captain Obed Cathcart for $1,300. Cathcart lived in the house with his wife, Sally McCleave, until his death in 1861. They had no children, and the house then passed to Cathcart's niece, Nancy M. Coffin, who in turn willed it to her husband, Alfred M. Coffin. Alfred Coffin sold it to the Home for Aged People in Winchester in 1895, and Mary J. Gifford Smith bought it from them in the same year. It was sold in 1917 to Mr. and Mrs. William Hall, who owned the house until 1954, when they sold it to Arthur and Jesse Stetson. We bought it from the Stetsons, making a total of only seven families in the house over the past 181 years. One January day in 1968, we were working on the large fireplace in the keeping room. There was a loose board bulging out above the fireplace, and I couldn't make it lay flat. This section had been plastered over and wallpapered. I tapped it, and it sounded hollow. We scraped and peeled and eventually pried up the board. Inside was a small cupboard with shallow shelves, the type of storage area known as a Parsons cupboard. It had been sealed, from the looks of the wall, for at least a century. A small section of the shelving had dried out and disintegrated, and as we dug deeper, we found several small utilitarian objects that had fallen down between the shelving and the wall. An ivory comb, a bottle, a pincushion, and a flint, all dating back to the first half of the 19th century. And they were personal, everyday things that had probably gotten pushed into the corner of the cupboard, then fallen through the rotted area in the shelving. We put all of these little objects on the top of a sea chest sitting in the room and left them out that night when we went to bed. It was a clear, moonlit winter night. My wife Kay and I were sleeping on a mattress in the bedroom on one side of the keeping room, and our one-year-old son was sleeping in the room on the other side. My wife woke me up at about one o'clock and asked if I would go check on our son, who was fussing a bit. I got up and started through the door of the keeping room. We had no curtains, and the room was bright in the moonlight, filled with that lovely gray-blue tone that comes from a full moon and a clear sky. Suddenly, I froze. A little shaker rocking chair, sitting a few feet from the fireplace, was moving, as if someone had just been rocking and then had stood up. You know, like each rock smaller than the last one. As I peered into the room, trying to see if anyone was there, I had the definite feeling 
that I had startled someone rocking in the chair and that the person had jumped up and hurried to the far corner of the room where a closet door stood open in the shadows. I stood still for, I guess, a couple of minutes, looking into the corner to see if I could make out anything resembling a figure. And I couldn't. But I just knew that there was a person, or perhaps I should say a presence, hiding from me in the dark. I was shaken. And since our sun had quieted down, I went back to bed and I told Kate what had happened. She got up and went to the doorway. The chair had stopped moving, but to my surprise, she too had a clear impression that someone was standing in the corner of the room. It wasn't threatening or evil, but it was a little scary. Now, we, we didn't walk over to the corner or shine a light into the room out of some feeling, I suppose, that we had already disturbed that presence, whatever it was, and that we should leave well enough alone. Now, I couldn't help wondering if our discovery of the objects in the Parsons' cupboard had anything to do with this weird experience. As we worked on the house, we began to come across the name Obed Cathcart in all sorts of odd places. Late one afternoon, I was busy with something downstairs and I felt a sudden urge to go up to the attic, which was empty at the time. I got a flashlight, went up, and I found myself crawling into a little cranny in the eaves. Nailed to the wall were several pieces of what looked like an old hat box, deep in a corner where there would ordinarily be no reason even to look. I pulled them off the wall, and on the cover of the hat box was written in bold lettering, Captain Obed Cathcart. Now this business of feeling impelled to look in certain places and then finding his name happened a number of times. It was as if I were suddenly directed by a firm, friendly hand towards a specific spot. I remember working one day in my son's room, where we had taken up the linoleum. I noticed a seam in the floor, and I found myself digging down under the board. I popped it up, and sure enough, written on a long strip of paper, were the words Captain Obed Cathcart. He had buried his name all over the house. It was as if I were satisfying some old urge of his by uncovering it. I did some research on the man, and I found that he had made several whaling voyages to the Pacific between 1826 and 1838 on the Elizabeth Starbuck and the James Loper out of Nantucket, and on the Victory and the Young Phoenix out of New Bedford. He left Nantucket again in 1850 as captain of the Ontario. The ship was condemned at Tahiti, and its 700-barrel cargo of sperm oil was shipped to England. Obed bought the house when he was 28, three years after he and his wife Sally were married. He lived there for the remaining 44 years of his life and died a poor man. He left $5 apiece to his brothers Seth and David. To his niece, Nancy Coffin, he willed the house. In the probate court inventory, he left her the furniture in front chamber and basement, appraised at $62, six large silver spoons and 18 small ones worth $18, and one rocking chair worth $3. 
seemed strange that a whaling captain who had made so many trips should die with so little to his name. And he was apparently a good man. I have a clipping about a rescue he made from the James Loper in 1839. A Japanese junk, the Choja Meru, was wrecked in January of that year, and it had been drifting for six months when it was sighted by Cathcart. He took the seven surviving crew members to Hawaii, where a certain Dr. Baldwin wrote, It is due to the kindness and generosity of Captain C, generosity often met with among seafaring men, that not only were these sufferers provided with food and necessary clothing, but were landed here with all the movable property they had saved, including a considerable amount of money, all which, on their escaping the wreck, was put into the care of Captain C, but none was reserved by way of compensation. I have a feeling that he was a modest man, and probably a Quaker, who just never made it big. My wife and I came to accept, early on, the presence of a benevolent personality in the house. It's a wonderful house, and we've never been uncomfortable in it, but we definitely were sharing it in those early years. And there were times when Kay or I would see someone just flitting around the edge of a doorway, crossing a passageway, or disappearing around a corner when we knew there was no one there. We would catch a fleeting peripheral glimpse of a back or of a piece of clothing. I remember one time when I was just starting up the stairs and I saw a woman in a dress stepping quickly through the hall into the next room. I didn't think anything of it, assuming it was Kay, and I went up the stairs and into the room across the way. I said something to Kay, and when I got no answer, I looked upstairs and then down, only to find that she wasn't even in the house. That little shaker rocker has been something of an enigma, too. As a rule, my memory about where and when I acquire antiques is excellent. As you know, we're dealers, and we do a brisk business in Nantucket pieces out of our shop on North Water Street. But I can't, for the life of me, remember where that rocker came from. At some point, shortly after we moved in, I sold it, but I can't remember whom I sold it to either. And I don't seem to have any sales slips on it. It's almost as though I have a mental block about that, that little chair. At any rate, a woman on Quint Street called me a few years ago and said she had a little shaker rocker that she wanted to get rid of. She didn't tell me why. She just said she wanted it out. I went over to pick it up, and sure enough... There was our little chair. <laughs> we have it back at the house now. And ever since it has been back, we have had no disturbances of any kind. <laughs> the following is a letter to the editor, which appeared in Nantucket's newspaper, The Inquirer and Mirror, in 1942. It was titled, The Trip Across the Sound, read by Lynn Bolton. To the editor of the Inquirer and Mirror. A letter in the current Inquirer mentions ghosts, and this reminds me of something rather odd that happened about 15 years ago. It's an incident I've told to only two or three people because I'm not given to seeing things, and the whole affair makes me feel a trifle foolish. However, here it is. All winter long, I used to look forward to making the trip from New York to Nantucket by boat. 
either on the New Bedford or the Fall River line, according to my luck in getting a stateroom. Almost everyone on the boat retired to the staterooms at an early hour, shortly after dinner. Not I. After waiting a year, I didn't want to miss anything, so I used to stay up long after everyone else had left the decks and the salons. The cold wind would eventually drive me from the bow to the stern, but I stayed out until half-frozen, then had my choice of deep, comfortable chairs just inside where I could read. One summer, I took the Fall River line and, as usual, took my final constitutional around the deck a little before midnight. The wind was blowing a gale that night, and the sky was overcast, but there was no fog. I struggled through the wind, and it was blowing great guns in the bow, so I went into the salon and settled down with my book. It wasn't a mystery story, just a prosaic and rather dull novel. It gradually dawned on me that someone was looking at me. We all get that feeling and look up to see who it could be. I raised my eyes, and somewhat to my astonishment, I saw a woman out on the deck looking through the window into the salon. She was not looking at me, however, but around the salon as though searching for someone. My only reaction at first was to wonder how I had missed seeing her, for I had just walked entirely around the deck until I once more reached the bow where I nearly blew overboard. Everyone else had gone to bed, and we were the only two people left. I looked at her curiously, puzzled by the way she was dressed. Her head and shoulders were visible as she stood there looking in, and the unsuitability of her wearing apparel, what I could see of it, aroused my curiosity. She wore a flimsy-brimmed hat, white or pale pink, and over the hat a wide chiffon scarf was loosely tied with the ends draped lightly around her neck. The top of her dress and the upper part of the sleeves were very filmy and lacy, and she seemed to have no coat. The effect was old-fashioned and made me think of those old automobile pictures, the woman sitting very straight and high with an enormous veil tied over her hat. She might have been dressed for a garden party or even a wedding. I could not distinguish her features but caught a general expression of wistfulness. Thinking it rude to stare at her so hard, I glanced down at my book again and almost instantly stole another look at the window. But she was gone. Not thinking at all of anything ghostly, but merely curious, I went out on deck through the door near the window. I couldn't find her. I wrapped my heavy coat tightly about me and, braving the wind, made the entire circuit of the deck. I couldn't understand where she'd gone. There was no exit, no stairs nearby, and it had seemed an easy matter to overtake her. So I gave up and went down to bed. No sooner had I settled myself comfortably when a sudden thought wrapped into my brain and sent cold chills down my spine. The woman was no illusion formed by mist and fog. I saw her plainly. But when I went out on deck to look for her, I could hardly stand on my feet because of the gale, and yet she had been standing on the most unprotected spot on the deck, clad in a flimsy gown, wearing a wide chiffon scarf over a broad-brimmed hat, and nothing was blowing. 
She was not holding on to her hat. In that wind, normally, the scarf would have whipped round and the hat would be in the ocean. Not one bit of lace or chiffon was stirring in the wind. The only movement was the turning of her head as she peered wistfully around the salon. Well, that's all there is to the incident. I got up early next morning and watched people get off the boat, but she was nowhere to be seen. I told someone about her just the other day, and he made a rather disturbing remark. He vaguely remembered a tragedy in the days of the Fall River Line, something about a honeymoon couple traveling on the boat and the sudden death of the little bride. Sometimes I wonder whether the story could have an explanation. Sincerely, Marjorie Divin, New York, New York. This programming was made possible by the generous contributions of our loyal supporters and patrons like you. You are the makers of great theater on Nantucket, and we thank you. For more information about White Heron Theater and our company, including ways to support programs like this one, please visit us at whiteherontheater.org or give us a call at 508-228-2156. We're saving your seat.